Okay, so this week we're looking at family part two, and uh, I'm going to kick it off by saying this. When I, I used to be a teacher uh, in a, a FE college, further education college, teaching media studies, which Rochelle always said to me was the easiest job in the world. Um, I think it probably was. Teaching people how to make films and watch films is not exactly hard work, is it? But, uh, <laughs> but it's a good job. And uh, one of the things we used to start the year with was something we called a learning agreement. I don't know if people still have those in schools, colleges and things. And the learning agreement which the teacher or the lecturer would sign and the student would sign so that the lecturer would say what he or she is promising to do for the students and the students would also make a promise uh, about what they are promising to do and, and, and how they're promising to behave and, and work and that. And then we would hold one another to the learning agreement. And uh, the, 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 the student could say to the, the, somebody who was supervising the lecturer, the lecturer has promised this, but they're not delivering. Or the, the lecturer, which was often more the case, really, <laughs> could say that the student promised to do this, and they're not delivering. And if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4... I think Ephesians 4 can be understood a little bit like a learning agreement from God about how um, the body is to interact with one another. Um, what has God asked uh, leaders to do and what has God called the body to do? What's, what's, how do we interact together? And uh, it says in Ephesians 4 verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave... The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, and that's, as it were, like I was saying, they're the lecturers, as it were. <laughs> Not strictly a good definition of them, but in that picture from earlier on. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and come in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head. That's Jesus. That is Christ. And from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so what I want to talk about really is, is what, what do leaders do and what does the body do? And actually that distinction is not necessarily helpful because leaders are part of the body as well. But just to help us understand what each part plays, we'll talk about them as distinctive parts even though actually leaders themselves are just part of a supporting ligament of the body. They're not the whole body, they are a part of the body. And I want to talk it in the context of us as a local church, so that we can understand who we are and what we're becoming as a local church. And in that sense, what, you, what are you to expect from, say, Tim and I, and, and, and what are we looking for and expecting from you? And it's interesting there that it says, Jesus, so Christ himself gave these gifts. It says, Jesus gave these gifts of, of leadership, different aspects of leadership, he gave them to the church. He, he didn't give the, 
He didn't give the body to the gift. And so there's two extremes of leadership that we can understand. And there's one extreme of leadership we could say is this, is where the leadership gift builds everything to himself or herself. And the other extreme of of leadership is where there's no leadership whatsoever and it's just a body doing what it wants to do, kind of like a headless chicken running all over the place and doing X, Y and Z and no one's necessarily calling any direction and saying we're all going north because everybody's running everywhere. And Jesus said that he gave the gifts for the benefit of the body. He gave the gifts as a benefit to the body, to equip the body for works of service, to become mature. So, our heart then, in, is that, talking say for Tim and I, our heart then as leaders, is that success cannot be measured by just having lots of bums on seats. Okay? That's the aspect of what these verses are saying, that success is not being able to say, oh, we gather X amount of 100 people to, to come and enjoy our gift. Okay? It's not, it's not saying, yeah, we're really successful because it's absolutely packed and they're all flocking to my gift, as it were. That's, Jesus is not saying it. He said, no, actually, you are a gift to the body for their benefit for their maturity, for their strengthening, so that they can do works of ministry, so they get to play, so they get to do the stuff. Because on one extreme, it's very easy to create church around um, personality or celebrity and the idea that people are attracted to a gift but never get to play, never get to do the stuff, never get to do the work never get to become mature, never get to supply to one another the grace that's in the different parts of the body. So Jesus is saying, because Jesus was and is all those gifts in one person, yeah? Jesus was the great apostle. Jesus was the great prophet. He was the great evangelist. He was the great pastor. He was a great teacher. And now the Holy Spirit comes and distributes those gifts so that the body can be built up and the body can be strengthened and the body can grow and do all the things and work properly. So Jesus gives gifts to equip the saints. And uh, you might be wondering, what are those gifts then? What do those gifts do? And what actually, what, what are you talking about, prophet, apostle? I don't even know what these are. And I want to take an illustration from a guy called Danny Silk of what these gifts look like in practice, by imagining these different gifts turning up at a car accident or a road crash on the M25, and just to see how these gifts see the world, the lens that they see the world through. So imagine the M25, there's no casualties, but it's looking pretty messy, there's lots of cars crashed and uh, there's a few people injured. The pastor gift turns up at the M25 crash, and the way they see the world is this. I want to make sure everybody's healthy, and everybody's safe, and everybody's protected. So the pastor gift will say, come on, get out of your car, get you to the side of the road, they'll come and look for um, 
silver foil to make sure they're not getting cold, they get them into groups, they say, anybody hungry here, they'll organise to make sure everybody's fed, everybody's comfortable, everybody's warm, everybody's got soup, everybody's okay. Make sure the sheep are okay, as it were. That's the pastor gift in these Ephesians 4 ministries. That's their bias, that's the, the lens they see the world through. The teacher arrives, and the teacher just wants to understand how this happened. I want to analyse how this crash took place. Okay, the skid marks are heading that way. The lorry's like that. Well, it must have been that the lorry was going too fast and skidded and and it crashed into the van and that's how it happened. The the teacher wants to understand, wants to get to the, the nuts and bolts of it, come to conclusions about it. And that's the passion of the teacher. They want to dig into it. Absolute truth. And there's no criticism of all of these because Jesus was and is all of them and he gives these gifts to the church because we need all of them. And the teacher wants to understand and they can be more intellectual. They want to understand how these things work and how they operate and how it happens and digging into the scriptures to understand the pattern. And that's the teacher. The evangelists arrives at the scene and Their first question is, does anybody here not know Jesus? (laughs) Anybody here not know Jesus? Anybody in the blue van doesn't know Jesus? Anybody in the lorry doesn't know Jesus? Their first instinct arriving to the crash is, everybody needs to know Jesus. And it's a good thing. And they have a bias, a way of seeing the world, a lens they see through that it's got to be about salvation and they're infectious communicators of the gospel message. They recruit and they equip people to be evangelistic and be equipped as evangelists. The prophet arrives at the site and the prophet has eyes that see the invisible and lives in to see the invisible realm, to see the plans of God, the purpose of God, the future things of God, the destiny, the calling on people. And so the prophet starts walking around and says, Lady laying there in the purple jumper, that's royalty. That's the colour of royalty purple. I'm going to call out your destiny. And they see things over people and start to call out their calling, their gifting, their anointing over people. And the apostle arrives over... And the apostle gifting is living from heaven to earth and wants to see what's going on in heaven replicated on earth and says in heaven there are no broken arms and goes around praying for all the broken arms that have been caused by the M25 crash and bringing heaven to earth and, uh, and uh, seeing what God wants to do in that place. And so all these giftings come to the church, all these ways of seeing to the church, to equip the saints for works of service and fruitfulness and to do the stuff. And so how does it happen then? How do these gifts outwork then in the local church? And I just want to unpack a few things that these kind of gifts bring to the church and a few ways that we can respond to those gifts. The first thing that these gifts do is they bring momentum. All these gifts bring momentum. And what I mean by that is this. We went to Rochelle's brother's house in Lille over the summer. And her brother has a round swimming pool at the bottom of the garden. 
And so I said to the girls and the cousins, if we all start marching around the pool and just keep going and going and going, we'll actually create a river that will carry us around the pool. So I'm marching. I actually don't like going in pools, actually, because I don't like getting cold. But uh, just for the kids, started marching around, and Fleur's behind, Clemence is behind, there's some other cousins behind. We start walking around, and within about three minutes, we've created a swirl of momentum around us that actually can carry little ones around. And actually, you couldn't go against it because the momentum had become strong enough to carry us. And I think that's what leadership does. These giftings, these anointings, these lenses, they create momentum. The evangelistic gift. Not another meeting, I want to be out there, I want to be telling the lost, I want to be equipping people. Some momentum towards outlook. The pastor creates momentum of, let's make sure the sheep are healed, and then make sure everybody's equipped, and make sure everybody's mature. Let's get the wounds and the lies dealt with, let's make sure we're safe, creates momentum. The teacher says, I understand that he heals, I understand it's heaven to earth, but let me unpack the scriptures. I want to understand this deeper, I want to bring clarity so that it brings momentum. The prophet calling out destiny, calling out identity, calling out purpose, brings momentum. All the gifts bring momentum to the body. And often it starts with a gift of leadership, a gift of anointing, a gift of bias... But once it's going, others can jump in and add to the momentum as well. At first, it took a little effort to get the water moving. It took a, it took a little bit more strength than Clemence might have had on her own to get that pool moving. But once we had some momentum, she could go around as well. And I think that's part of what we're doing as a local church. We're saying, let's have the momentum, heaven to earth. Prophetic, evangelist, teaching, pastor. Let's get the momentum. So as other people come in and get born again, actually, they're going to be born into a culture where it's normal to hear God's voice. It's normal to prophesy in the streets. It's normal to pray for the sick and see them healed. It's normal to bring good news wherever you go. That will be the momentum. They won't even have to work for it. They'll just have to jump in. And I do think as well, it's not just, I don't think there's just necessarily the one evangelist in the local church, or there's just the one apostolic gift in the local church, or the one prophet in the local church, or the one pastor, one teacher. You might know as you hear those, that's me. That's my bias. If I turned up at the M25, I'd want to make sure they were warm, safe and fed. You, you, go, you might you say, I've got a pastor's heart, a pastoral gift. Others might think, yeah, I'm always thinking heaven to earth. I want to see the advance of the kingdom, heaven to earth. I want to see his rule, his reign. Wherever I go, I want to see the sick healed. I want to see that. Yeah, you you function with an apostolic bias. You might be a prophetic. You say, actually, I'm really comfortable with the invisible realm of what's going on around God. I find that easier. Prophetic gifting. You might think, actually, there's nothing I would love to do more than sit and just study all day and to understand Scripture and to understand how it all fits together. The teacher gift. And so these gifts start momentum. I'd say that's part of what I do, is I want to, I start momentum so that other people can jump in. So that other people can go further and higher and faster than I can. 
Yeah? Because we're building, not necessarily, we're saying, actually, can the ceiling that I get, can it become the platform for you to go further? Could it be that in a, in, in a short life that we have, that we can get enough momentum going so that that's not the benchmark of how far other people will ever go, but it becomes their ceiling to go faster, higher, and do more? Because leadership is a servant gifting to the body to equip the body for works of service so it works properly. Leadership is not about gathering something to itself so it can say, look how successful I am. So that's momentum. The other thing that leaders do and fathers do is call out identity. Calling out identity. It's part of what we do. We say, actually, we want you to know that you are adopted. If you're a Christian, you are loved and you are adopted. And you're a co-heir with Christ. And you, you have access to God. You have the ability to access God. You have ability to influence the world around you because you're a carrier of Christ. And so we want to call that out and call that out so other people can run with a God-given identity. You're a saint, not a sinner. You're a new creation, not a person who's just struggling to, to impress God by working really hard. You get birthed as, into Christ as a new creation that the old has gone and the new has come. And then that produces a, a culture, an environment. And Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we grow in every aspect, uh, of every aspect, the, the, the mature body of him who is the head. That's a culture, a culture that calls out identity so that other people speak the truth in love to one another. And speaking the truth in love to one another doesn't mean, well, I'm just going to tell you the truth, brother. I'm just going to tell you the truth, sister. You're a rotter. And I'm going to tell you A, B, C, D of why you're a rotter. That's not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is this. You, you, you might, in this moment, have acted foolish and silly, but who you really are, I'm going to speak the truth in love to you, who you really are is a son or a daughter. That's who you really are. You're a saint. That's who you really are. Your identity might look right now that actually you're acting like a sinner. That's not who you are. I'm going to tell you the truth in love. The truth in love is you are to be living in the palace. Why are you living in the gutter? Your destiny is that you're a prince or princess with God. You're a part of a royal priesthood. I'm going to speak the truth in love to you. You're a world changer. You carry Christ. You have the capacity, because of the Spirit of God within you, to influence every environment you're in. You're the head, not the tail. And so we speak the truth in love to one another. And that happens in an environment where fathers say, the priority is to... I'm going to point you to your identity, I'm going to point you to your calling, I'm going to point you to how he sees you, so that other people then begin to relate to one another, of calling out destiny, of calling out uh, the, the gold and the greatness in one another. And that's part of a culture, speaking the truth in love, prophesying the great things that we see of God. You might say, actually, what do I do if I've got a prophetic gifting that sees the negative? Pray into the negative and speak the opposite spirit to what you see. The, 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 to speak the truth in love prophetically is you might see the dirt, but speak out the gold. 
Remember years ago I was praying with uh, two people, Sarah Porter and Joe Gowing. It's actually, I think it was 1995, we were leading a small house group together. And I remember that, that day, on a Tuesday, God said to me, Jamie, I've called you to be a gold prospector. That's what I've called you to do. And whenever you see gold in people, you're to cry out, there's gold in those hills. And you're to speak it out, you're to speak out the gold. How many of you know that it's really easy to see the dirt in one another? <laughs> it's pretty obvious, isn't it? We can easily see the gold or the dirt in one another. But seeing the gold for ourselves is really, really hard. And it's like I, hearing Steve Backland, who worked in Nevada in a gold mining community, and he said they would move tons and tons and tons of dirt to find gold. And no one focused on the dirt. They focused on these sparkles of gold, because that was the precious thing they were looking for. An environment of encouragement. That's prophecy and encouragement are our, our, our family. If we want to grow in being a prophetic community, we've become really good at encouraging and seeing the gold in one another. And so that's what leadership brings. Not everything, not exclusively, I'm sure there's more, but that's an aspect of what leadership brings. And so, as a local church, we believe that the kingdom of God is about powerful people being together. Why do I say powerful? Because if we're all equally loved sons and daughters of the king who have equal access to the throne of grace, then we're actually very, very powerful people. If we've got the spirit of God living in us and he's become, and he's made us individually his temple and knitting us together, we're very, very powerful people. And sometimes the model of leadership that has said, I'm gathering you to my gift, has unfortunately produced the idea that church is about powerless people following a powerful leader. And I'm not, I'm not going to dig into motivations or any reason, but it's, it, there's a lot of reasons that can happen. But the fruit of it is the idea that there's, there's one or two powerful people in here and everybody else is powerless. And that's not the kingdom. Because... Because like in Luke 15, we saw in the summer, where, when the father says, you are my son, I'm always with you, and all that you have is mine. <laughs> and there might be different parts of the body that's being held up and doing things, but actually we're all amazingly, wonderfully equal. And there's just different grace gifts that come in to equip and bring momentum to the body. So, you, believer, you are not a powerless person who just comes to church to follow leadership. But you're actually in the kingdom a powerful person. But if you're to walk out who you really are, if you're to walk out your calling in God to be one who supplies strength to one another, you have to believe that something is required of you. If your model of understanding the kingdom is that all it's about is I turn up on a Sunday and I listen to a preach and I go home, you've missed the high calling that Jesus has for you where he says you are part of the body working properly. You have a contribution to make. You are part of the supporting ligament that builds up the body in love as each part does its work. And I just want to finish really by 
talking very briefly about how can you find out what your part is? How do you find out what part you play? How do you know what sort of supporting ligament you are? And I want to talk about three S's. Surrender, servanthood and stewardship. So in the learning agreement, and I think we're all in this, okay? It's not a, it's not a, a line in the sand that says leaders, you don't have to be servants or you don't have to surrender or you don't have to steward. We all do this. Actually, leadership... At its essence is the call to be the servant of everyone, okay? So it's not a line in the sand that says, leaders, you do this and everybody else is that. No, no, actually we all do this. But these keys can be really helpful. To find out what you're called to be and do in the kingdom of God, you need to have a foundation of surrender to God as, your, as, as the first thing. Delight yourself in the Lord and he gives you the desires of your heart. You, you start everything from a surrendered heart. I am yours, God. I belong to you. My only agenda is to please you. My only calling is to love you. I'm surrendered to you. And then from that place, he says, what, what do you like? What do you enjoy doing? What do you think you'd love to do? And there begins this interaction and relationship with the Father where you begin to hear and see what he's got for you. There's a surrendered heart to God. And, and, I, and I do believe that that surrendered heart to God then gets expressed as a surrendered heart in the family and to one another. It's what we were saying last week. It's not okay if it's just me and God. It's not okay if it's just me and God. That's not healthy. If it's just, I'm surrendered to you, God. But actually, I'm not surrendered to anybody else in the whole world. But it's okay, because I'm surrendered to you. It's surrendered to God, and then it's surrendered to one another. And one of the, one of the, there were two key moments, or many more, I guess. One of them was in 1993, where I said to God, I will do whatever you ask me to do. And I just remember that was a decision I made. And I did things even though they were not necessarily my gifting and calling and what I felt even equipped or qualified to do. I just said, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will serve. And I remember saying to David Pike, who led the church that I was a part of, David, I want to serve you and I want to serve your vision and I want to serve where you're going. That, that was one of the things that were key to me. So surrender to God a surrender to the vision and the prophetic calling of that local church that God expressed is, I'm, I want to serve you, David. I want to serve where you're going. What can I do? What do you need doing? Where are the gaps? And that was a really crucial thing for me, that servanthood of just saying, actually, I, I, if I'm really honest with you, I did not have any particular expectations for how this would go. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have expectations, it's good to have prophetic calling, prophetic dreams and where you know you're going. But for me personally, there was just, I want to serve. And that's where it started. How can I serve you? Authority and responsibility grow in the context of a servant heart. And it, and actually, I never, I don't want to ever lose that. Servanthood connects you quicker to vision and leadership momentum than anything else. And I'm not going to say this next thing because I'm, I want to boast, 
but because I, because I want you to, I want to share just how momentum comes. Uh, there's a meeting I go to once a month, and the guy who leads the meeting said, Jamie, will you put stickers on everybody and with their name so that they all know each other? And I, tell you, I, I honestly thought I'm thrilled because suddenly I'm not just a consumer in this meeting anymore. You've trusted me to go and get their names and put stickers on them. And it's not because I thought that, oh, that's going to lead anywhere, because you never know what we're in God where things lead. But it connected me, and I thought, actually, I'm part of this, aren't I? I'm part of this meeting, aren't I? You see me as part of this, don't you? You have entrusted an aspect of it to me. And it's thrilling and, uh, to, to be part of things. Servanthood connects you. Serving and faithfulness gives your life momentum. It gives you motion. You're moving somewhere. It's easier to move a, a moving ship than it is to get it started. So they recognise it. It doesn't matter where the direction is going. If it's moving, the tugboat can come and pull it anywhere it wants. But it needs some motion. Sometimes if we're just waiting, just waiting for a magic moment when it's all going to open up, sometimes we find we're just stuck. Sometimes we just have to say, how can I serve? How can I serve you? How can I serve the prophetic calling and vision of this local church. What can I do? What can I do? It's partly the servant heart is, I want the team to win. And you know in sport that if you're going to sport, let's say a football team, and you've got one guy who's a bit of a star and uh, yeah, he's a goal scorer, but the team always lose 2-1. <laughs> and, and he always scores every match, but the team doesn't win. If he's in the dressing room going, yeah, got another goal, another goal, another, another contribution, but the team's losing, actually. No, you've got to say, actually, I want the team to win. Because maybe this guy is playing in such a way, it's not allowing the team to, to, to flow and to thrive and to be successful. So there's surrender, servanthood, and the last one is stewardship. Stewardship. Have you noticed that when God gives a prophetic promise to our lives, it comes just as a seed? He calls out our calling, he calls out our destiny, he gives us a brand new, uh, brand new sense of where we're going, but we get it in seed form, we don't get the whole thing. The, the prophetic guy, can, prophetic woman can call you out and say, I see this over your life, I see that over your life, I see God going to call you to this, I see this happening. But it's not that once they've said it, we then step into it and it all just happens. We then begin a process of alignment with what that person has called us to. And so, seven years ago, someone might have said over me, I see a... a I see the miraculous and I see people getting healed. That was, just a, that was just a seed. It was a promise from God of saying, I see you in that. But I just got it in seed form. It wasn't that the next day we just stepped into it and suddenly things were happening. So, so some of the things we're seeing now as a local church and we're seeing on the street, some of these things are being, have been brewed since 2007 in concrete terms 
But in, in further back was 1996 on our wedding day, where God prophetically promised this for me and Rochelle, where I didn't really believe it, and didn't mix it with faith, and didn't steward it, and got it to repeat it 11 years later. But when I heard it the second time, or the third time, I listened. And so we get it in seed form, we don't get the whole thing. We have to steward it, and nurture it, and, and intentionally look after what we've been given. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, you've got to fight according to what? According to the promises that God has made about you. You've got, to, you've got to determine to only see yourself as heaven sees you. You've got to determine to only see yourself according to the promise, according to what is happening around you. You might look at all your circumstances and say, but the sick are not getting healed. And this is not happening. And that's not happening. But you have to say, but you promised. But you promised. But you promised. That's why when we went out in July, and Katrina was mentioning this guy, and we said at first we were so thrilled when we had a clue in treasure hunting, and then we found the person. And in July we said, but this guy didn't get healed. If Jesus was here... Following prophetic clues, that guy would have gone around leaping, jumping, and full of joy. And so I've got to, I want to come to you, God. So that's not that's not enough. I want to I want to see when we find the person. I want to see breakthrough. So yesterday we saw him say, "Yeah, uh, there's a measure of mobility or measure of." I feel a little bit better when we prayed. That's fantastic. That's a move forward. But it's a, but it's in seed form. The first time, nothing. Two months later, something. And so you have to steward intentionally what God has placed in your life. How many of you know that you've got prophetic promises from God that you know are impossible, but you've got a call from God to something that you're not seeing yet, but you just know he spoke to you? Any? Yeah, you know that you've got something from God. You've got to... You've got to steward that. Can those who, not to embarrass you, those who have, haven't, can you stand? We're going to pray for you, okay? Those who haven't, you want to stand now, we haven't finished, but we're going to, those who haven't got a thing that you know that God said to you in seed form for you to intentionally look after. Can you stand now? You just know you haven't got that. There were much more than that. <laughs> There were much more people who didn't just now. <laughs> well, even if you sat down, you can still get me, all right? God's very generous. Now, it can come in different ways. Important, if you, 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 you belong to Jesus, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. So, it doesn't have to be you wait now until a prophetic gift walks to town. That's, that's a good way, but my sheep know my voice. Actually, prophecies for people mostly who don't know the good shepherd, they need someone to tell them something because they can't hear for themselves. You can open up the Bible and, and, and Scripture's going to leap out and you can get promises from God. Yeah. And you're to steward a Scripture that jumps out prophetically in the same measure you would if, if you were actually even greater than even if a prophet pointed you out in a crowd of 6,000 and said, you, written with blue top, I'm going to speak over you, okay? Yeah. So we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, this week, as these folks who are standing are reading the Bible, and reading it with you, we pray this week for scriptures to jump out of the page, and they will just know that was for me, and that's a promise from me, that God has spoken something over my life, 
prophetically and I'm going to fight the good fight now on the basis of that promise of what God has said over me. So we pray in the name of Jesus for a release of ears that hear that you want to speak to them because you said my sheep know my voice. So we pray that this week as you pick up the Bible, as you lead you through the scriptures, just read it slowly and when something, asking that something would jump out of a prophetic promise of what he calls you to be in Jesus' name. Yeah, amen. We pray for increase on that. We want to hear his voice. And then when we hear his voice, we steward it actually in hard work and perseverance. In hard work and perseverance. It, it takes hard work sometimes and perseverance to work out the God-given calling in our life. So grace is opposed to earning something, but grace is not opposed and welcomes effort. Yeah? So you know you've got something from God. <coughs> begin to look after that seed. Begin to read books about it. Begin to place yourself in environments where you begin to nurture and steward it. You might think, I've got a heart to see young people grow up in stature and become godly men and women. And you come to Katrina and say, I'm going to steward that calling. I'm just going to be a co-worker in, the, in, 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 uh, in children's work. I'm not coming to come with big leadership stuff. I'm just going to work in it. I'm just going to help. I'm just going to serve. And that works right across all the different things. Yeah, servanthood. Surrender, servanthood, and stewardship. So we're going to finish. You're going to invite us to stand. Yeah, it might be that you just felt, actually, I just need some momentum in my life. I just need some motion. Because <laughs> I'm stuck. Then come to Tim or I and just say... I want to serve. There are, there are folks here this morning who have been serving and making things happen that have a knock-on effect of releasing us to do other things and to serve in other ways. Nothing is too small. Yeah, so if you know that, you just think, I'm stuck. Just, I just invite you to come to us and say, I want to serve. My first ever job in church was 67 blackcurrant juices in Kresh. I did a deal that the leader said I didn't have to go to home group in that church. I could go to navigators if I made the orange juices for the kids. The first thing I ever did. There's something about servanthood that connects you to ownership that connects you to knowing that my part was part of the outcome for the whole. Servanthood does that. And stewardship. If you've got calling, you, I don't even know how to steward it. Come on, this is my favourite conversation. I know he's called me to this. How do I get from A to B? Yeah, so Jesus, we thank you for the body of Christ. Mm. We thank you that God, every part, every ligament, every part of the body is joined and held together and supports one another and as we all play our part, the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I thank you, there is not a believer here today who does not have 
a call from you. That even before the foundation of the world, God said, you're my poem and you are going to uniquely display my grace in this world in a way that no one ever has and no one ever will in the whole of history. You have a calling in me. And uh, thank you for that, God. Thank you that you're not building a church where there are a couple of pockets of superstars who, who get to do the stuff that everybody else gets to observe from the stands, but rather you raise Tim and I up to be servants so that people get to do the work and get to do the stuff. Thank you for that, Jesus. So we pray for, even this week again, for increase of, of hearing your voice, a prophetic voice coming from the scriptures, coming from your, your voice, coming as we're going along, coming as we listen to a song, coming as we see a billboard that we pass, coming along as we talk to one another, different ways that you speak to us, coming as we watch a movie and we just suddenly, I think I'm hearing God right now, he's speaking to me. We pray for that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.